You're listening to the Improve Photography Podcast. Hey everybody and welcome back to the Improve Photography Podcast. I'm Jim Harmer, your host, and today I'm talking uh, with a photographer in Florida, uh, continuing our series of, of uh, interviews with the listeners of the Improved Photography Podcast. Um, they're going to be continuing to come out uh, just periodically over the next couple months. Um, so uh, it's been a really fun series for me to kind of jump outside of just the things that I talk about and do all the time um, and hear some of the really interesting and completely varied things that that you all are doing as listeners to the podcast. So I thank everybody who's been on. Uh, we've, we've heard some really, really cool different avenues of photography. And today's is no different. It is uh, definitely unique. Eric Fortman is on the, on the show. Welcome, Eric. Hi. Thank you. Well, uh, Eric, I, I know you're a you're a biologist and you're doing photography to kind of document the sciences and things. Uh, to somebody who hasn't seen your photography, as many of these listeners haven't had a chance to yet, tell us what it is that you're doing in photography. Um, so, as you said, I have a background in biology. Um, I have a, a, a bachelor's in biology and I'm in grad school now currently uh, working on a master's degree in biology. Um, and I use photography to communicate my research and uh, my colleagues' research to other scientists. If there's a particular phenomenon that um, may be best expressed through photography, um, I'll do that. Um, or to communicate science to the public in general, to get people to an interest and to appreciate science. Very cool. So um, I, I, you have some really cool projects that you've uh, been doing. I want to talk in the second half of this pod, uh, podcast about the morphology project because uh, that one's mm -hmm. really unique and I think what will uh, definitely get some, some attention to your work. But, but in this first half, I, I want to talk about the other things that you're doing um, in photography. So tell me, how did mm -hmm. you get started? Um, I started photography when I was in high school. Um, I was, was in a marine um, aquarium society and I just kind of started picking up a camera and shooting for the, the newsletter for the, this aquarium club um, and taking pictures of some of the living fish in these aquariums. Um, and then in, in college, I started to develop more seriously into photography, um, ended up joining the school newspaper um, and becoming the photo editor for the school newspaper. Um, and I think that it, that has really influenced a lot of my work because um, most of my, my work has a pretty solid um, foundation in uh, photojournalism type stuff. You know, I'm amazed how often I hear that uh, as I talk to photographers. Uh, you know, e even people who like in high school, you know, they they were you know taking pictures with a with a little disposable camera uh, in the mm -hmm. in the eighties. <laughs> Uh, you know, mm -hmm. just just very simple kind of photography, and then uh, and it always seems to kind of stick with people. And later, maybe when digital came out, like they kind of instantly took to it because of that experience earlier. And I would say the same with me. I did the same thing uh, in middle school. I did uh, did that, and you know, I was no by no means a photographer, and it didn't like suddenly make me say I'm going to start a career in photography. But when mm -hmm. digital came around. It kind of came back, and I said, "Ooh, that was really fun." Um, uh -huh. So, do, do you feel like that? Uh, 
like that has impacted the way you shoot today or, or really just given you the interest? Um, I would say a little bit of both. It definitely um, got my my interest. I um, came, when I first started photography, it was kind of, I don't, the digital was definitely developed by then, but I feel like the digital cameras just started getting really good and the the, digi- the good digital cameras were no longer limited to just the really high-end, expensive professional cameras. So being able to freely go out and experiment um, with not much consequence in, in terms of film was uh, definitely freeing. Um, I did take a couple film photography classes in uh, college as well, um, and I definitely learned a lot out of the a lot from those and um, enjoy the process of working with film. But as far as my um, my day to day shooting and uh, documenting science, I, I you can't really uh, get away with that. It's just it takes too much time. I enjoy the process of film, but it just takes too much time to to work on it day to day. So what kind of gear do you do you, do you use for your photography? Um, so I have a Canon 70D and um, I mostly shoot with a 16 to 35 millimeter L lens and a uh, 100 millimeter um, image stabilized macro lens. That 100 millimeter macro is a really incredible lens. It is, yeah. It's it's tack sharp and just almost no distortion in it. Yeah, interesting. Sorry, you got me on a tangent, but um, <laughs> you mentioned the, the sharpness of, of macro lenses. Sharpness of macro lenses is, is an interesting thing because often we're dealing with, um, with detail that's so tiny that it's actually really hard to measure, uh, to yeah. even know if a lens is sharp. Uh, for macro because the line pairs are already so tiny and so close together. Uh, it can be <laughs> really, really difficult to measure uh, because you'd have to have a, a chart that you're shooting that's just uh, incredibly, incredibly uh, detailed to, to be able to measure. So uh, mm-hmm. macro is macros interesting in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you're using a tripod for most of your work? Um, yeah, so for, for macro, the live specimens that I photograph macro, I'll shoot without, um, being tied down to a tripod or anything. Um, but the, the morphology project and, um, a lot of the, the more stationary macro specimens that I use, um, I'll actually use a copy stand. Um, so what is that? I've never heard of that. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so a copy stand, imagine, um, the, the head of a tripod, and it's kind of, it's tilted down um, at 90 degrees. So your camera is pointing straight down at a table. Um, so the copy stand has a flat base with a pole going up that supports your camera. And that um, the head of the tripod that's tilted 90 degrees, so your camera is pointing straight down at a table. Um, and then it has uh, two arms out to either side. And I put a um, 100 watt... <coughs> 100 watt uh, LEDs in there, LED floodlights to illuminate the subject. Huh. Okay. Yeah, I had to Google this. Uh, <laughs> I have never heard of such a device. Um, interesting. So, so who uses this? So it looks like you know there's a flat base, and then mm-hmm. it just kind of goes up a little pole to attach your camera there, and then two little flex arms there to put little lights and stuff on mm-hmm. so um 
I, I've never heard of this. Where, where have I been? What, what, when would I want this? I mean, you got good new gear for me. Talk me yeah, into yeah. this thing. <laughs> so I guess it's um, used a lot in uh, product photography when you need to shoot a lot of products from um, that are all similar in size from about the same angle. Because you small. can just kind of, um, once you get the camera set up and your lights adjusted, you can kind of just whip things in and out of there and, and shoot pretty quickly. Um, I know museum conservators will use them a lot when they have to um, document um, objects in their collection as well. Interesting. All right. I like this. I, it's rare <laughs> that I find a whole new product that I've never heard of. Yeah. Too bad I can't buy one this year. No new gear. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Well, maybe you can make one. They're, um, they're pretty easy to make. So. Yeah, that, that's very cool. Um, okay, so you mentioned specimens. So, mm -hmm. what what are you shooting? Um, I shoot um, a variety of subjects. Some of it is um, landscape, um, showing the the habitats that scientists work in. Um, some of it are pictures and even um, uh, portraits of the scientists doing their work. Um, and then I also shoot a, a lot of macro photos of uh, fish and invertebrates. And how are the photos being used? Um, they're used in a variety of contexts. Um, so sometimes they're used uh, to actually collect the data that we're um, using for our science. So recently I was working on a seaside sparrow project and uh, we used a camera to document the feather coloration of the birds that we were catching. Um, and we we're trying to standardize that um, with a color checker and using a, um, a white box to, to help control the lighting conditions. Um, and then we could pair the, com can compare the coloration of the feathers um, in sparrows that live in different parts of the state. How do you, how do you catch them? How do we catch them? Um, we use something called a mist net. It's kind of like a volleyball net, um, but with a much finer mesh. And we uh, set it up in the marsh, and uh, we play a call, um, their mating call, to attract the sparrows in. Oh, that's um, cold. And <laughs> that's cold. Yeah, make them, make them think that they're going to get lucky, and then uh, they get trapped. <laughs> uh, um, okay, so, so you capture the birds, and mm -hmm. uh, like, are they sedated when you're ph photographing them, or how do you keep them still? Um, they're not sedated. We use there's a couple different um, holds that you use on the bird. Um, one is called the Bander's grip, and that's kind of with your your piece fingers and the palm of your hand. Um, and there's a photo of this on the website. It uh, allows you to kind of control the bird, um, hold it still but not harm it, and it allows access to the legs so you can attach a band to the bird. Um, there's also something called the photographer's grip, conveniently enough where you um, use your thumb and piece fingers to kind of clamp the legs together. Um, and that allows you excellent access to um, manipulate the bird and be able to photograph the bird from different angles. Huh, very interesting. Um, so you capture the bird and then you're, you're going to photograph it. But I mean, the bird would be moving around a little bit, right? So how are you photographing like these macro photos of like a bird's eye? Um, with with a living moving object they're um surprisingly calm 
Um, but I do, you have to keep this, the shutter speed up. Um, I have to keep it at least at a 90th of a second, typically. And um, I try to shoot around f8. That tends to be kind of the, the sweet spot for most lenses. Um, it gives you a good depth of field, so you don't have to worry about the bird moving back and forth too much. And you're gonna, again, you're going to freeze that action with a 90th of a second, like bare minimum, um, really... Um, higher one 125th, uh, 160th is uh, much better. Yeah, the I mean, these photos are just super tack sharp. Um, mm -hmm. Are you using any flash or anything there, or, or just natural light? Uh, no, it's just natural light. For the, the color study, we discussed using flash, but um, we decided that using it out in the um, environment, they're just... we All these photos were either shot um, squatting down in a marsh or on the bow of our workboat. Um, and there were just too many variables um, with using a flash in that environment. Okay, so um, so you're, but, but they all have nice even light. So are you, you're putting them in a, in a light box? Yeah, we have um, kind of a photo tent. It's um, about a three foot by three foot cube that uh, kind of pops out like a, a kid's play tent or a, um, sure. A reflector. Yeah, you can yeah. find them on Amazon. There'd be everywhere. Yeah, yeah, they're super cheap. Yeah. Huh? And then you're just overexposing it, of course, so everything looks nice and bright white. Exactly. Yes. Okay. So, what is it that you hope to accomplish with your photos? Um, so, I really hope to um, inspire people um, to inspire their appreciation in science, um, especially young people. Um, get more people interested in science and hopefully understand why it's important we do the research that we do. Very cool. So in the second half, I wanted to dive into, I, I think, the very most interesting photos that you have, uh, which is mm -hmm. this new, I mean, you're shooting black bears and, and uh, alligators <laughs> and snakes and scorpions and all kinds of stuff. But I think mm -hmm. the most interesting is this morphology project. So in the second half of this podcast, I want to talk about that for sure. Uh, but yeah. before we do that, let's take just a minute and thank our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by ImprovePhotographyPlus.com. Improve Photography Plus is where we have some of our best trainings from photographers that you know and love, like Brent Bergherm on cleaning your camera like a pro, Erica Kay on posing women, Connor Hibbs on compositing, Jim Harmer on block method composition, all kinds of editing tutorials, commercial photography tutorials, the list goes on and on. So check it out at improvephotographyplus.com and start your free two-week trial today. All right, Eric, you have told us a lot about the, the kind of science, scientific photography you're um, doing. In this sec second half, I want to uh, focus on this morphology project, which is just really, really interesting. Um, let's see if I can even explain what the photos look like. I definitely encourage everyone to go <laughs> check out ericfortman.com, and you'll see the photos right on the on the homepage. Um, but to somebody who, who isn't seeing them right now, uh, the photos are on a white backdrop and they're really interesting looking uh, ocean fish. And it looks like we're looking at a very colorful x-ray of them or something. Um, I mean, they're pinks and blues on a you know nice bright white background. Um, but they, they just have a very artistic look. I mean, you could 
print a big photo of this and frame it and put it in a beach house or something. I mean, they just look really, really cool. Uh, so I, I, what what is this that I'm looking at? So all the photos that you're looking at um, are of real fish. Um, these are fish that uh, I've gone out and caught myself or some of my colleagues or friends have caught. Um, and they're all less than um, about two inches in length. And oh, really? I, they, I yeah. thought these were big fish that we were looking at. No, no, these are these are all pretty small. Um, you could certainly do this technique with um, larger fish if you wanted to, um, but so far I found working with si fish around two inches in length is is pretty ideal. Ah, okay, okay, interesting. Mm -hmm. They they look like such fascinating fish maybe that's why because they're such small fish that you don't really appreciate all the detail otherwise but like this one the yeah. scorpion fish i thought was one of those like deep sea ones with the little light on it you know the little yeah. thing it looks like that to me uh, yeah. but i guess they're just such little fish we don't usually get to see all the detail yep yeah and that's that's why i stick to that size of fish because it um it really lets you show the the really fine details that um, all those fish have Cool. So, so how in the world is this done? You you catch the fish and then what? Mm -hmm. So um, the the fish get uh, preserved in uh, formalin first, um, and that that fixes and preserves the tissue, um, and then uh, they'll get stored in what, ethanol. Formalin. Formalin. Um, so it's basically embalming fluid. Um, okay, I'll just go pick that up at Walmart. <laughs> yeah. Is this something that um, anybody anybody could do if they followed your process? Uh, yeah, um, in theory, anyone can do it. It's a lot of these chemicals are actually available um, through Amazon. Um, the, there is regu some, some regulations on them, um, depending on on where you are and uh, how you're going to use them and what the concentrations are. Yes, <laughs> but uh, these are all pretty pretty standard um, chemicals that we use in the laboratory all the time. Okay, interesting. So, but yep. but you could pretty much get these things on Amazon. Yes, for the for the most part, yeah. Okay. There's you may some um, some chemicals you may have to go through a, a scientific um, dealer online, but um, they, you can easily do that as well. Hmm. We might need to impress on you to to write us a, a, a description of how you're doing this project with uh, with all these with all these uh, uh, chemicals because it's really neat. I, I think a lot okay. of people would be interested in doing something like this. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sure. cool. So so continue. Okay, so um, once the fish is preserved in in formalin, it'll then get transferred into ethanol, um, which is just alcohol. It's um, a much higher grade alcohol than uh, you would want to drink, um, but that helps uh, dehydrate the, the fish and is used as a long-term preservative. Um, then it goes through uh, a series of baths um, that add the color and uh, make the rest of the flesh transparent. So how long of a process are we talking about? I mean, does this fish stink? Is this like two weeks? Um, it does take two to three weeks, but the, the fish isn't going to stink because it is preserved with that formaldehyde and the, the ethanol. Um, and the, the chemicals, the other chemicals that we add, one is a pigment that only stains bone, um, and that stains bone red. Um, the other chemical is a, another pigment that only stains cartilage blue. 
Ah, um, so then, that's the coloration we're seeing here. Yes. So yeah, this exactly. is not so, an artistic representation of just putting color places. This is just what the chemicals do. Exactly. Yeah. So um, everything that you see on the fish that is blue is cartilage and everything that you see on the fish that is red is some type of calcified bone. And so it's really reflecting um, the, the structure of that specific fish. And um, that's why scientists use this technique a lot is because it kind of reveals a structure that is normally hidden underneath the fish's skin. Interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. Okay, so, so, but I still don't understand. So, has the, did the early chemicals like remove the skin, and that's how we're seeing what's underneath it? Or, so what makes the fish uh, transparent is a chemical called uh, trypsin, and uh, that's an enzyme. It's actually found in um, everyone's small intestines. It's an enzyme that digests most proteins, um, but it doesn't digest bone. It doesn't digest collagen, and it doesn't digest cartilage. So, um, the, as I said earlier, the the bone and the car and the cartilage are stained, um, but it's really being held together um, in kind of a matrix of collagen, which is basically jello. So these are kind of like uh, little jello molds of fish. That's cool. It looks really, really neat. And so, tell me about so after you've done the the process of of preparing the fish, however. Um, what's the actual photo taking like? So, um, when I take the photos, I'll put them in a, a small little plexi, plexiglass tank that I have, um, on their sides. And then I use, um, something called a, a copy stand, uh, to create these, these photos. Okay. So, so it's just in a any flash? Um, I don't use flash. I actually used uh, fixed um, fixed constant source illumination, um, and those are just a couple of uh, 100 watt flood lamps that are LED. And so you're just putting them outside the light tent. Um, I'm not actually using a light tent at all. I'm just getting the the bulbs really close uh -huh. to the object and um, kind of at a, a low angle. And the the 100 watt fl uh, floodlights they're pretty broad, so it's almost like using a um, a soft box or a beauty dish or something. And that, that doesn't create any, uh, any shiny parts, any highlights on the, on the fish? Uh, no. So because you're immersing it in water, that's a trick that um, scientists use a lot when you're photographing something that's shiny. Um, if you immerse it in water, it'll actually get rid of that shine off the fish. It'll get it yeah. on the surface of the water. But most of the time you can get that out of the frame. So yeah, um, that is yeah. interesting. Okay, that's a really cool thought, actually. Yep. Huh. That could actually be cool for a lot of product photography, even, you know, photographing sunglasses or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Ooh, I like this. <laughs> I want to dunk something in a tank of water. That's actually pretty cool. Huh. I'm going to have to remember that one. I'm going to file that away. Copy stand and dunk things in water. That is good. Yep. That is what I've learned from this podcast. New things. Uh, well, the the uh, photos that that have resulted from this process are just beyond cool. They're just really, really neat. Thank you. Um, yeah. How have you shared the photos and, and got them out there? Um, so I do post a lot of my work on Instagram. I'm at Eric Fortman on Instagram. Um, I also had um, a gallery opening at um, DNA by the Hand of Man Gallery in uh, Gainesville um, back in October of 2016. Gainesville, Florida. Um, Gainesville, Florida. Yes. Awesome. Um, and, I, and how was that? 
Uh, it was really exciting. It was the, my first uh, solo show that I've done. Um, and it was really exciting to, to see everything up on, on the walls of a gallery. I bet. I, I've never done yeah. that. I would love to, love to, yeah. love to do that at some point. Yeah. Ah, very uh, cool. And and were the photos for sale or just for display? or And what have you done with them since? I mean, is every wall of your home a fish photo now? <laughs> <laughs> um, I do have a, a f- several up in my house. Um, yeah, so the, the photos were offered for sale. I'm actually trying to find a home. I've moved down to um, back to South Florida to the Fort Lauderdale area. Um, I'm trying to find a new gallery down here um, to for, to house them for now. And I've been working on expanding the project. I've already have um, about another seven or eight fish that I photographed that I'm adding as kind of part two to the project that I showed showed in Gainesville. Oh, that's very cool. The I was recently in a hotel in in Mexico and they had photos that well not photos they were paintings that looked a lot like this of just kind of the outlines and things of, of fish uh, just nicely framed in there. I bet you could sell them at an art fair or something uh, or to like a hotel in Florida or something yeah. just as, as art. They're, they're really neat. Yeah. Thank you. I hope so. Well, in every episode, we like to share with everyone a doodad of the week. What, uh, what doodad or product do you use to, to help you get the results you're getting? Um, so, a tool that I use almost all the time in my macro photography is a uh, focusing rail. Um, and that is just a, a little object that attaches to your tripod or um, copy stand. And it, it allows you, screws into the, the mount of your camera and it allows you to move the camera to rack focus in really small increments, only about um, a millimeter at a time if you want. Um, and I, I use this focusing rail to do a focus stacking technique, um, which is how I get such uh, deep depth of field in my macro photos. Very cool. So you're, um, so t- tell me how that works. You're, um, because as you move the camera physically in and out, it's going to mm-hmm. change the perspective. It's going to change everything about the photo. You know, the, the fish is getting bigger and smaller as you're moving in and out. So how do you do focus mm-hmm. stacking while using it? So um, first thing what I'll do is I'll set my focus on the lens itself. I'll um, fill the, um, the size of the fish that I'm shooting. Oh, I'm sorry, Eric. We're having a little bit of issue that. with Skype here. Uh, we oh. had a cutout there. I'll, I'll ask it again. Uh, so... Tell me how, okay. how you're how you're using the focus when when things are getting bigger and large, bigger and smaller. How are you doing the focus stacking? Uh, so the first thing that I'll do is set the focus on the lens itself, um, and I'll adjust it so the fish fills the entire frame of my camera. Um, and I typically focus on the topmost portion of the fish, which in most cases is uh, the pectoral fin, the the fish on the, the the fin on the side of the fish. Um, and so once I, I'll, once I get that in focus, I'll take one frame of that. Um, and now I'm not going to touch the focusing ring on my lens anymore. I'm only going to focus using my macro rail. Um, so then I'll just move my macro rail down, um, just millimeter by millimeter and I'll expose, um, a frame at each point of focus. Um, and depending on, 
on the specimen that I have, it can take um, five to eight different frames at different points of focus. Very cool. Uh, yeah, that's that's an interesting technique. I didn't didn't realize you could do that. That's very very cool. Mm-hmm. Well, um, it's been a pleasure talking with you and uh, and uh, being with you here on the podcast. I appreciate you sharing everything uh, that you've learned, and I encourage everybody to check out your work, especially this morphology project at ericfortman.com. Thanks, Eric. Great. Thank you.